0: So good to be with y'all this morning. I feel like I'm among family today. If you haven't seen me or don't know me, it's just, I've been around. Mostly in your basement. I think that's probably where I belong. <laughs> and so many faces are familiar. I spent uh, eight of 16 weeks uh, of a, a time we were together called the Scent Lab. And the trustlows there just spent a weekend with me in a thing called Encounter, where we have a ministry call that is multiplying disciples that are multiplying churches. Uh Bill and Cynthia, you feel like Uncle Bill and Aunt Cynthia to us. Have been in our home many times as we just about a year and a half ago launched a brand new ministry called Encounter Discipleship Network. And it has been an adventure. And uh, I think probably one of the biggest reasons you guys have let me in this morning once again <laughs> is because of my beautiful wife Renee. She's here with me this morning. She, she usually the one that makes a way where there's no way with me. Because so she is really the real deal. And I just have feel privileged. I just turned 60 yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've been married 33 years here coming up in July. And the reason I tell you that is because I don't care how young, how old you are. God is calling. He is moving. And we get to meet with Him and walk with Him and see what he is doing he invites us in to actually participate to partner with all that he is doing and and when uh, renee and i uh began this ministry it actually had started years ago uh, with her missions heart and my pastoral heart and beginning to put those together and um watching god work renee actually is the uh, regional director of all of Latin America. They call it the Spanish-speaking world. So when they ask her, "Would, would you, at A&M, would you be the head of the Spanish-speaking world? I'm like, so how is that going to go? Hi, my name is Shane. This is my wife. She's the head of the Spanish-speaking world. <laughs> so you could tell she, she is the real deal. But as we, as we had um, started out into this ministry, all I, I would love to tell you the whole story. Love to pull you aside sometime and, and tell you how did we get to this crazy place. I had been in pastoral ministry for thirty years. I had uh, for the last twenty years was probably in one of the most wonderful churches, comfortable, just the Lord moving, all kinds of things. But there became this thing in me of this holy discontent, not because of the church of where I was, because I could see what God was doing in the world, what He was doing in our community, how He's moving and calling people and calling the church up in a new time, and a new age. And then, of course, I'm just going to real briefly. I'm going to say the word COVID. That's it. When that hit, a very familiar scripture to all of us. Isaiah 60 just began to resound in me and has become almost a theme for me. And it was so uh, amazing to hear y'all singing and worshiping about the light and talking about returning from the darkness to the light. Isaiah 60 says, Arise, shine, for the light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, deep darkness the people but the Lord will arise over you and his glory shall be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your glory. You know, in that time, it was easy to see, man, there's a great darkness, there's a plague <laughs> around the whole earth. And as it began to subside, we kept thinking, oh my goodness, man, this is great. Things are going to go back to normal. And inside of me, as I began to see the entire body of Christ of, of, that I've known, start to say, okay, we're going to start getting back to normal. Inside of me, I kept going, no, there's no new, there's, there's, there's not going back to normal. We have to begin to, to follow what Jesus is doing now because this broken world just got more broke. And and all the things that we see, we in our nation now are living an urgency and a crisis and the intensity of this crisis. And I'm just going to spend just a second here, but the chaos of our government, deception of the evil educational systems, the instability of our financial institutions and our moral moral fiber. There's a massive onslaught of humanism like no other time, like a great deception, plague of, of lawlessness that has taken us And we wonder why things like they are. It's because I believe that the second coming of Christ is is sooner than you might think it is. And he is shaking things around the world. The, The church is being shaken even right now. And this is a good thing. And in the midst of all of this darkness, there is a great light. We are the light of the world, we get to walk in the light with him who is the light. As we were singing this morning, thank you so much, Jeff, and worship team. As we are walking in the light with the light of the world. And what we bring to the table in the midst of this darkness is a hope that cannot be extinguished. A hope that is not based on any things of this world. A hope that goes beyond the veil. A hope that goes straight to the throne of God. A hope by the God of hope. As Romans 15 says, that he is the God of, of all hope. And our hope is placed in him. It's not p- place, placed in a political system. It's not ble- pe- based in our education. It's not based in our financial security. If it's based in those things, the Lord is shaken. And he is saying, I am your hope. And if you stay with me, walk with me in the light, then you will not only have fellowship with one another in greater ways, but you will walk with the hope. And this is a contagious hope. You ever, like, I want to do something right now. Watch this. Anybody ever feel like yawning now? That's contagious, right? Listen, man, we have a contagious hope. There are people crashing and burning. The the mental illness is at an all-time high. And here we carry around the stability of a confident expectation. This is not wishful thinking. This is a a confident expectation that is based on the creator of the universe, the one who has made all things and redeemed all things to himself. It's based in him, the one that has promised us and actually upholds his promises above his own name. That's the hope that we have. And we carry this hope to a generation that is in great need of hope. And As God is shifting everything, I believe that He is shifting the emphasis of who is actually doing the ministry, carrying this hope, this contagious hope around the world. It is shifting from just beyond this pulpit to every single believer becoming the, the kings and priests that we were designed to be. And like your mission statement says, that we are to go make disciples that are making disciples. And it's in that we carry this hope, we carry this love, we carry this power, and this mission to begin to to engage people with the gospel and begin to walk with them to see transformed lives, begin to transform families, begin to transform neighborhoods, begin to transform the cities, begin to transform states, and begin to transform a nation, and then all nations can be transformed because of the love and the power of our God and those that will walk with Him to fulfill the mission of going and making disciples. He is calling ordinary people. Ordinary people. Every day, men and women like me and like you that will courageously and daily respond to Him in an intimate partnership, releasing His love and power and committing to investing and other people to help that transformational process. In all of these things, we, his ordinary, everyday men and women, are being invited to respond to him as he stirs our hearts to send us into this great harvest of soul. I cannot tell you, everywhere I go, and this is, this is a wonderful season for my wife and I, you know, we, we've been pastoral ministry, which means, you know, you're, a, you're in one church at a time for many years. And I have been so blessed to be in wonderful, wonderful churches. Now we get to be in so many different churches. And one theme has been going on, that we, the church, need to get out beyond the wall. And it's so good to be among you, see your mission statement, to be with you. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what your age is, what your station of life is, where you come from, what disadvantage you think you have, it does not matter. He is engaging you, and He is sending you. We'll start with Mark 6. Now we start the sermon. <laughs> Mark 6, starting in verse 7. And He called the twelve to Himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Also, he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you, not hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet in a testimony against them. One version says sandals. I got to say, John, I love the sandals in the coat, baby. That's styling right there. I like that. I love that. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent, and they cast out many demons, anointed with oil, many who were sick, and they healed them. We are a church that is called to walk in love and power. Many would say, where are the miracles in the church today? Many would say, I come from a tradition where we are open to a lot of the gifts of the Spirit. We're open to God, seeing God work miracles, signs, and wonders. And we have seen a lot. God has been blessing us in our living room as we started this ministry. We're seeing that stuff. But I'm telling you, where are the miracles? They're out there. God displays himself and all that he is to those that are hurting and broken and in need so much. Imagine with me just for a moment this scene. Here these disciples are. They've already taken a big risk, man. They got out of their boats, their tax booth or whatever, and they're now left their profession and they're following Jesus. They already take a big risk, but now they've settled in. And this is great. We got a rabbi. Dude, they we're seeing all this miracle signs and wonders. We get to wake up with him in the morning. We get to hear him preach and teach. We get to live with him. All these multitudes want him, but we have him. And they're just going with him. And they're sitting there as they go with the rabbi teaching, with their little notebooks, writing down notes, and hoping that they can remember what the, what the rabbi said in his parables. Hopefully they got the answer somewhere in there. But today, they awake with Jesus. They have no idea that everything is about to change. Because now what he's doing is, he's shifting away from just giving them this this information. He's shifting away from them just sitting there taking notes. He's, He's just coming away from that place where they just have the Torah or or the teachings of the old testament and now he's beginning to say okay guys it's time today's a different day so he calls him to himself i can just imagine he's what he's thinking okay boys come here and then he begins to pair them up and send them out can you imagine what if that was you what if you're sitting in your chair, and the man of authority comes to you and says, it's been a good ride. It's been a great church member. Thanks for listening to all my sermons. I love when you smile at my jokes and laugh. Today's a new day. We're going to Crozet today. We're going to Charlottesville today. You know what we're going to do? Go ahead street. streets. And we're going to start healing the sick and cast out devils. I would love to see your faces when he said that. This is what happened with the disciples. Everything shifted. Everything changed because in Jesus' own discipleship model, it was not based on sitting and listening. It was based on going through town and village and roadside to meet people right where they are with a compassion that moves from the inside that causes miracles to come forth. He would look at the lost sheep of Israel. Moved with compassion, He would heal all their sick. He would cast out demons. And then He all of a sudden turns to them and says, Okay, guys, you go do the same thing. That is what He is calling us to do, is to be outside and begin to to display the kingdom of God to all those that we come in contact with in this place of darkness. We are the light. This is who they are. He calls ordinary, everyday people, filled with the Spirit, empowered by Him, and He sends them into the marketplace, into the neighborhoods. Acts 4.13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were what? Ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. I love this. That that word ordinary, you guys heard this. Agramatos idiotes. Common idiots. That's what the Greek says. You can look it up. Common idiots. What did this mean? This means that these were men that were untrained, uneducated. They didn't know the higher ways of the, the Hebrew rhetoric or the society. They were not of the elite. They, and the elite looked down on them as idiots, incapable, limited, ignorant, in need of help. Does this sound familiar? Now, if you could tell, I'm a little expressive. And I'm not always the, the smartest one in the box. That's my wife. <laughs> Thank the Lord for giving her to me. These were fishermen. They knew their trade. They were knowledgeable of their craft. But even their rabbi was untrained. They couldn't look at his records and see where he'd gone to rabbi school. They couldn't do it. And here they were, these fishermen, these ignorant fishermen, preaching with boldness, confidence, and authority. Not based on the knowledge from school, not based on their position of life, not based on how they had progressed into management. They had quit their jobs, and they were walking with this untrained rabbi, but yet... When they began to preach, when they began to display the kingdom, people were healed. This comes right after they healed the lame man that said he went walking and leaping and praising God. It caused such a disruption that one of two things happened. You were either mad or you were saved. And the Sanhedrin was up in evil, but they couldn't do anything because these men were men of authority, men of boldness. The lame man had gotten sick and I mean, gotten healed, and there he was standing right beside them after a night in jail. Here's the lame man healed and walking around right beside him. They look at that and said, We can't do anything because everybody sees that this guy is healed now. And their boldness began to confront the Sanhedrin, and there's nothing anybody could do because the presence of the living God. What did they recognize? That they had been with Jesus. These uneducated, untrained fishermen, even Peter, who had assaulted the head of the Sanhedrin's servant, cut his ear off. Now, can you imagine? There's Peter. It's like, I'm going to get that guy. He's go- I'm going to bury him under the jail. Couldn't do a thing. Why? Because they had been with Jesus. He had been with Jesus. There was Peter. There was John. He was so young. He didn't have a place of authority. But yet he did because he's been with Jesus. Even Paul later on, he was educated. He knew the rhetoric. But what did he say? I count it all as dumb. I count it all as dumb. And he said, when he came to Corinthians and he was speaking to them, he said, I don't come with, to you with this rhetoric. I don't come to you with excellent speech or wisdom or persuasive words of human wisdom, but I demonstrate the spirit and power among you so that you put your faith in god and not in man this is where we live ordinary men like you and me going and making a difference in people's lives throughout wherever you are in your realm of influence now you can say sitting there yeah but you know they were really god knew all along they were going to be apostles they're like the big 12, baby. They're the heavy hitters in the history of the kingdom. In your Bibles, you can turn there. Acts eleven nineteen. 19, you can see it. I'm just going to read it. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. Get this. They preached the word of God, but not only to the Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles. Oh, my goodness. And they're preaching to the other side of the tracks now. They were preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus, for the power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Let me tell you the significance of this. You cannot name one one person that had gone through these cities. All it says here is that a great number of believers, or some of the believers who went to Antioch were preaching and many were born again. You know what they did in Antioch? You know what these ordinary, everyday believers did? They planted what ended up being one of the most powerful churches in the history of the world. The church at Antioch raised up a bunch of Gentiles walking with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the church that the elders fasted and prayed and said, Let's send Paul and Barnabas on the missions trip that took the word of God around the world. Who planted this church? It wasn't Paul? Idiots. So I can relate. And it was right in the middle of persecution. Can you hear it coming? Listen, uh, with, with Advancing Native Missions, I've been around some of the most persecuted people. Just this week, a group of North Koreans was right here, right next door to you guys, giving testimony of God moving in North Korea. And whenever I meet someone of a persecuted nation, a country, or a region, unfailed, they are some of the most joyous Christians I've ever been around in my life. They've got nothing more to lose. They're already dead. We've got too much going on that we're holding on to. But right in the middle of this persecution, the greatest church in the history of the world was, was raised up. Because a bunch of idiots went forth, ordinary, unlearned believers. It says the power of the Lord was upon them. What if each one of us actually followed the patterns of the Word of God? What if? Just think about it. What if? What if we would stop separating the sacred and the secular and we'd go to, job, go to our jobs saying, Listen, I am the church. And when I go to work today, I'm walking aware and available to the Holy Spirit. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be on duty. I'm going to be walking in the kingdom of God in order to see the kingdom of God manifest to all those around me. I know for me, whenever I walk into a public place now, I walk into a restaurant or Walmart. You know, Walmart is the savings place, right? You know that, right? I know that every single person in that place, Jesus died for them. And I don't have to collect them. I don't have to call up the latest, greatest evangelist and try to get the biggest haul that I can get to get them there to get them saved. You know why? Because I am the church. The Holy Spirit dwells right here. And when He does, He says, I am sending you on mission. Go make disciples. And I carry with me, this thing, Lord, make me available and willing. And when I hear you, I will respond. To you. I've got some stories of praying, praying for people in, in places that you know, I'd love to share with you. But I want to call you up. What would happen if we walked as his sent ones? That if we wake up in the morning knowing that we're these ordinary men and women, we put on our missionary clothes. That might be a teacher's uniform, might be a mechanic, it might be an IT. I don't know where, where you work. Farm. Put your clothes on, it's your missionary clothes. Going back to Mark 6, how do we do this? What does it start? It starts with intimacy, because intimacy leads impact. And Mark 6, in verse 7, in the beginning says, He called the twelve to himself. First, there's this invitation to him a life of intimacy that we can know Him, be known by Him, and He invites us into His love, into His life. He offers us a permanent place of peace and settledness and fills our souls with Himself. And He stands with His invitation to be in His presence and His presence in us. And it's not just a momentary thing or for relief. I don't know about you, but I've been to the altar many times for relief. And that's a good thing. And as I go and get older now, I was young, now I'm old. Starting to understand more, what does that mean that Jesus lives in me? What does that mean? It's a life of hope, peace. No matter what's going around me, I'm anchored. He lives in me and his kingdom manifests through me. I'm his and he is mine. And all the shaking and the crisis and the trauma of these days, we can have a certainty and a contagious hope that we have the world needs. He is our destiny. It's a place of fruitfulness. You know, it's just a natural thing that it's God's design that intimacy is what leads to true and lasting fruitfulness. Right? Right? It's going to cost you, but it's worth it. Then it says in verse 7, not only did He call them to Himself, but He began began to send them. Intimacy always impacts others' kingdom of God because they see it on you just like the Sanhedrin. We can see they were Jesus. You reflect that light. Mark 3.13. This is one of our founding scriptures. Afterwards, Jesus went up on a mountainside and, listen to this, called to himself those that he wanted to be his close companion. So they went up with him, and he appointed the twelve, who he named apostles. He wanted them to be continually at his side as his friends, and so that he could send them out free, have authority to heal the sick and cast out demons. There we go again. Once again, he's calling them to himself. And you know what we've done as a church? You know, and for, for years and years and years, I have preached many, many sermons talking about how important it is to spend time with Jesus, how important it is to study the Word of God, how important it is to pray, how important it is to worship, and sprinkled in there somewhere how important it is to witness. But I never understood that it is not one of the, like, stepchildren, That if we are going to make disciples, we're going to love God with all of our heart. We're going to love God with Jesus with all of our heart. Love others like ourselves, and we're going to go make disciples. It's one of the top three. got to do it. We have to do it. It starts with intimacy, but then Jesus sends us every single time. Now, what does this mean? When I look at this, it says he named them to be the apostles. And we go again, Shane. See, that's not ordinary people. They're the apostles. Listen, wait a minute. Do you know what apostle is? I know in the church today, we have the two-fold ministry rather than the five-fold ministry. Have you thought about that? Where's the five-fold ministry? I don't know. <laughs> it evidently just stayed there, didn't it? We have the pastor and the teacher. Where's the apostle? Where's the evangelist? Where's the prophet? Oh, those prophets are crazy, man. You know, on YouTube, man, they're saying some crazy stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. But don't let the crazy keep you from God's anointed. Right? Don't throw the baby out with the bathroom. What does it mean? Apostolic. The word apostle actually means him who is sent. The sent one. And what happened when, when Rome would conquer a region, they would send the apostolos the apostle, that would go into the new conquered place and represent Rome, and his job was to take the Roman culture and inject it into the new kingdom. The kingdom of Rome would then overtake the kingdom culture of this new kingdom, right? We are in an apostolic time and season right now, where we as ordinary believers, ordinary men and women of God, that we are to take from kingdom culture, we are to be transformed ourselves by that kingdom culture, to live like Jesus, to be like Jesus, to be with Him and to be like Him. And as we do, as an apostolic people, we are to take the culture of the kingdom of heaven and make it real right now on earth. Pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as where? The kingdom of heaven. That's how we are supposed to walk every day. Monday should be just as powerful as Sunday, if not more. We are sent people on mission. God is a missionary God. From the very beginning with Adam, Abraham, Moses, all the prophets, and His passion is us. A Father who wants all of His children around Him. And if you're a kid that's not around him, he's going to send another kid to go get you. That's who we are. We're the kids that go get the other ones to come on. Daddy wants you. Papa wants you. Jesus sends us. And here's a shift. He is shifting from the centralized church, C-E-N-T-R-A-L, centralized, to a centralized, S-E-N-T, centralized. The center of our walk with God is, should be in the, in, in the, the gathering of the believers, right? But when we gather, we gather because there's testimonies that we, the church, have been the church throughout the week. We've seen lives touched by the kingdom of God. And when we gather, we bring testimony of who He is and what He has done through the week. And we glorify Him, bringing brand new ones with us. Because when we gather, we gather to scatter. We encourage each other. We build each other up. We're transformed in His Word. Then we go. I am definitely ordinary. Believe me. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. When I left this wonderful, incredible church, it was I was terrified. I'm not kidding you. I was like, who am I going to be and Lord, I do like to eat, as you can see. I love to eat. I I, I would prefer not to go hungry. And I got to tell you, when I stepped out, God has provided every. This, you know what? The resources and the supply are in the harvest for this church and beyond. But Shane, you know, I know that I'm definitely ordinary. But I don't feel ready. In fact, Bruce has been talking a lot about this lately. Dave invited you to spend 16 weeks with people around here. And if you get around Bill very long, <laughs> I was talking about you last weekend. You should have been there to defend yourself, buddy. <laughs> I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I am just not that guy. I'm not that gal. You know what? I don't even think I'm able. I'm scared and I'm definitely not qualified. These are things that you feel. Yeah. Man, (laughs) Bill, you can't just go there. So what he's talking about, man, is like when we're talking about the church that is scattered. That that place where Stephen, when the church went out, ordinary men going through the world, planting the church, you know where that came from? If you read in 1 Peter, it's talking about the great dispersia. They're scattered like seed throughout the earth, pulling up beside unbelievers everywhere and beginning to walk with them and disciple them. Read 1 Peter again, and you see if that's not what it says. The word for scattered there? The word (laughs) is the same word for sperm, for seed. God was injecting His DNA throughout the world. But listen, they didn't want to go. Here we are. Everybody talks about, oh, it's the, the, the church of Acts. Oh my gosh, we need to get back to Acts. You know what they were doing? They were hiding in Jerusalem. You know, thousands of people getting born again, going to their homes. Oh my gosh, this is the church. Wow, many... But you know what? All along, God was saying, but go. Jesus' last words, go. Go make disciples. Oh, no, man, it's so good here in Jerusalem. Oh, we got such a great home group. We got such a great church. And all of a sudden, Stephen happened. And they were spread throughout the earth. It took persecution to wake them up. Let's don't get that far. We can see it. We can feel it now. We see the birth pangs now. Let's don't let it get that far. But I'm not qualified. Listen to this. John 20. I'm coming to a close here soon. John 20, starting in 20. This is where we got the scent lab. Y'all know this. After he said this, now this is Easter night. Think about it. All the disciples, man, have been walking with him. Now he's crucified. And now, not only that, Someone has stolen his body right out of the tomb. And we here are going to get accused for it, so we better hide. So here are the 12 disciples after the resurrection, Sunday, Easter Sunday night, hiding in a room with the doors tightly locked. That's what it says, tightly locked. Now, what would you do if you're waiting for a Roman centurion to knock on the door with a whole brigade of centurions behind him ready to take the whole group to jail, what would you do? You'd probably be locked up in a room somewhere, right? Now think about this. You're there, you're trembling, you're scared, you don't know what to do, and all of a sudden, this man shows up in the middle of the room. Bam! Didn't even unlock the door. Just shows up in the middle of the room. Wouldn't you like to have a heart attack? That's what Jesus did. And he goes... Listen to this. He says to them, hey, guys, peace. It's me. Notice what we're saying. Hey, guys, chill. It's me. How did he, how did he let him know it was him? It said he, in, in verse 20, it says, and he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Their eyes were opened up. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Now, listen. This is his first, after he resurrects, this is the first discussion he has with him. This is what he says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Don't you think that's something important? That's, that's, that's got to be important enough for the very first thing he says, as the Father is sending me, I'm sending you. Then he blew on him and received all the, the empowerment to go do it. Think about this. He could have identified himself With the glow. He'd just been resurrected, man. Come on. He could have identified himself just by looking at him and convincing him. Hey, guys, look at me. Look at my face. It's me. It's me, guys. See, it's me. Maybe his clothes. I don't know. I think he had a new set. But what did he choose to do? He showed him his scars. Why did he show? Why did Jesus show his scars first thing? Because He knows that we're a scarred people. And He took our scars upon Himself. He identified with our scars that we have in life. And He said, look, I can identify. And I died for your scars. And because I died for your scars, you can be healed. You can be transformed. I know that you've been rejected. I know that you've been betrayed. I know that you have scars to your life. But I died so that you'd be healed. And it's your scars that qualify you, not disqualify you. Your past does not disqualify you. Your weaknesses do not disqualify you. (laughs) And if you're an idiot, you're ready. It's all by His grace and His power that we walk. So that we can join Him in what He's doing. Mm. it's not about being educated. It's not about going to Bible school. That's not a bad thing. But just don't let knowledge puff up. I want to end with this. All that takes is yes. All that takes is to say, yes, Lord, I will join you. And what you're doing. I will be a sent one for you. I will fulfill that passion that you have. I will fulfill the great commission in my life. We love to talk about Isaiah 6. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? And we know Isaiah responds and he goes, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me. When did this happen? It happened in the year Uzziah died. There was great turmoil. There was great transition. You guys have been going through a transition. I don't know what that looks like for you guys. But I know in my transition, it wasn't a transition. It was a transformation. And I pray that in your transition with all that's going on with your pastoral change, whatever it is, That you don't let it go; that you just transition, but you're being transformed through it as a body. And part of that transformation would be that you allow yourselves to be sent. That you say, "Here I am. Send me." This is not about a pastor. This is about a people. I pray this man you bring it in here is God's will for you guys. But more than that, that you've transformed through the transition, and that when you are here that you have a sense that we as a people are sent. And that here I am is a place of vulnerability. It's not just an answer to a question. When you come, just think about it this way. Lord, I am feeling very inadequate about this whole thing. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm an idiot. Whatever that looks like. I'm insecure. I have weaknesses. I have faults. I have a past. Here I am, Lord, with all of my work, with all of my foibles, with all of my mess-ups and my habits. Here I am, Lord. Take who I am and send me. Send me, Lord. So I just want to ask you now. You guys have been through probably a whole lot of this. Those that have been with me have been through a whole lot of this. But I want to pray. Can we all just close our eyes and pray just for a minute? we just go before the Lord? I appreciate so much being with you guys today. I just want to ask you, are you right now living close to Jesus? Are you as close now as you've ever been? Or maybe you've never really known him. I don't know. Maybe you used to really walk close with him. But there's an obstacle in the way. Something's happened. Are you ready to say, here I am, Lord? Here I am. Maybe there's something you're dealing with. I just love some of the, the worship this morning that was just calling us to a place of repentance. Maybe you're dealing with offense or unforgiveness, hurt or fear. Maybe something hidden that, that you know that nobody else knows. Here I am, Lord. Forgive me. Here I am. Or maybe you're here and you're just scared. You just get out there and it's like, man, that preaching sound good, but I just feel powerless when I'm out. Just once again say to him, Lord, here I am. And the Father, right now, wherever we are in this room, for those of you that, for those of, of us in this room that may not have ever known Holy Spirit, right now, you're great. Draw them to you. I thank you for your precious blood that has forgiven us. Lord, that all we have to do is say, yes, Lord, I trust you in my life. I will follow you. Lord, I pray that you would restore the intimacy, those, those that have gone cold. That you would warm their hearts and draw them to yourself. And those that are dealing with fear, maybe offense or unforgiven, just right where you are, ask Jesus for His grace to overcome. Name the person say, Lord, I forgive you. Let His grace work. If you're here and you're far from God, Right now, where you are with God, just say, Father, trust you from this place on. I trust you. Take me, forgive me, cleanse me, fill me with your spirit. I will follow you. And for all of us that are in here, Lord, I pray that we would be an apostolic people, that we would live a sent life. Lord, that we would go for you, that we would not love our lives unto death, but Lord, we would receive the reward of the lamb who's taken away for the sin of the world. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would love you deeper, be led by you more powerfully. And that through us as a people, we would see your kingdom prosper and many be transformed by your gospel through us. In Jesus' name, amen.